I want to run a train. Would that fire you up? I just can't bring myself to do it right now, but that's the right thing to do. I made some weird assumptions, which I can't even explain. It's this typical thing, right? The analysis by paralysis. You screwed up and you can fix it. Well, I think I'm a sucker for the hope. I agree. I'll just throw them away. For me, it's best to set it aside and walk away. The trash can is a better place for it to be. And you have to walk away. Oh, that's hard. Will it just take time away from you having fun? I guess we're all here to inspire each other. If you steal from me, you've stolen twice. That's what I stole from him, but I'm taking credit for it. You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. episode of the Crossing Gate podcast is sponsored by Blue Tubs. Do you have too many trains, too many projects, too many GG1s? We know you don't have too many now, but if you get more, use an authentic Blue Tub for temporary storage. Perfect for storing projects you'll never finish or even start. Don't want to sell those old Ambroid wood kits? Put them in a Blue Tub. Don't want to part with your Atherin rubber band drive engines? Put them in a blue tub. Blue tubs can be found at all do-it-yourself centers. Ask for them by name. Blue tubs, a model railroader's best friend. All right, welcome everyone to another Crossing Gate podcast. Today we're going to discuss layout planning and design. We'll talk about some concepts and structural and detail issues, and the panel will discuss three good and bad things that they've done or redone. And with me today, I have Luke Lemons. Hello. I have Mike Jordan. Hello. Mr. Eric Boone. Hello. And Ken Zeska. Good evening. I think we're all in different stages of layout building and planning. We got Eric building his new one. So I'll throw this out there. uh, (laughs) Yeah, planning. We'll go to you, Mike, because I think you've probably had a layout longer than most of us. I don't know how long Ken's had one, but what are three of your better designs that you started with that you've kept? Uh, I think uh, in my original design, it's a two-level railroad. And I did not put a helix. Purposely ran a ramp from one level to the other. And the ramp is in the background or up against the wall. You know, everybody says, well, what's the percentage grade of your ramp? And I said, well, two Atherin blue box locomotives can pull 12 cars to the second level. And <laughs> and that was my criteria. One doesn't. So you need two. I think that design is always going to stick with me. Even if I got a bigger railroad, I think ramps take up less space. And the bonus is you get to buy more engines. Correct. <laughs> so for every board foot of lumber equates to a certain percentage of a new locomotive. So, <laughs> And it's funny that sometimes I will hold something in my hand and say, oh, like, crap, that could be a new tank car rather than a pair of shoes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is, is just being flexible about where an industry sits. I know that some railroad designers want that exact location prototypically on their railroad. 
one of the things was reachability. When you reach into the railroad, how can you uncouple a car? That was a design decision, was just that accessibility was more critical than accurate layout. And then I think the third one that I really thought about was where do people stand and how do they get by each other? Mike Mayer has a really nice railroad, but uh, you get one person in the railroad in some of the spots, and even that one person has trouble just moving up and down the aisle. I think that carbon base unit has to be thought out uh, just as much as the layout. And I, I think that's a kind of a modern layout planning thing is actually drawing in where people will stand and, and let alone their size and get by each other. Well, that's the other thing. And my carbon based units were a lot smaller when I built my <laughs> railroad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to admit for that. Ken, you've had your layout for a while. What are some designs you've you've liked that you put in? Well, actually the things that I've put in are things that are corrections. I put in a visible storage yard rather than having a hidden storage yard that you had to crawl under and into. Uh, that became a detriment. And then I had a, a very large flat yard. It was too large, too difficult to reach into it. So I took that out and put in two in industry yards and put a view block down the middle. Those are the, the two big, well, the two actually becomes three bigger things because I took out the duck under. I made sure that every switching area I have can be reached real easily. I do have a challenge in that two of the switching areas are very long. And so it's difficult for uh, an engineer to be on both ends at one time. It's not impossible and it just takes a little longer. So people like it, but it would make it, uh, usable if I wanted to go to two-person crews. So that's what, I again, making things, to Mike's point, make things simple, make it so you can reach everything, make it so people can walk around. Actually, when I put in the visible storage yard, part of the thing was I stretched everything out and made more seating room for people when people are coming over to just hang out and watch trains so it's more comfortable for them. More ergonomics and things like that. Luke, what have what are you proud of that you designed in your layout that has worked well? I'm really happy with the proportion of everything. The size of the train versus the size of like the set out. You go to a yard, you set out a block of cars, you pick back up. That block of cars proportionally plugs the yard to what it <laughs> how it should plug the yard and you pick back up. My ideal train length was like 35 cars. It ended up being 20. But when you set out 6A, that plugs the yard enough up. I'm happy with the proportions with that, the proportions of the siding length versus how much it overtakes the whole railroad. They're still run between each town. Another thing I really like that I designed in was reverse loops for staging. All of my staging is a reverse loop. Between sessions, everything flips itself and is ready to go back out again. Also with that, if you set out along the route to like the midpoint yard and you pick stuff back up, if it goes east, when you come back west again, that set out those style cars are back on the head end again to set out at the yard. So between sessions, I'm not flipping any type of blocks of cars around or flipping power around. So everything's all set up like that. I'm really happy with it. That worked out. Never enough staging, but it's sufficing. I have added, one of the detriments was I have added more staging, but <laughs> it, it's enough what I wanted to do. The one detriment that though is one end is more flexible. My 
my top deck staging is uh each staging track is like 20 car lengths so if i have an influx of westbound traffic i can't eat it very well i, I can send stuff eastbound all i want and that yard can you can double the train into the yard but i can't digest stuff at the west end of the system as much as i could i guess that's one detriment with having set fixed length for staging tracks the whole people aspect thing i like the flow of where everybody sits if there's a busy switching area on the top it's mainline run on the on the on the opposite deck so nothing is there's no real bottlenecks of people it worked out pretty good on that no that that, those are good ones there i like that i like that eric in your design what you designs that that you started with and is still in your layout design you haven't taken the pencil and the eraser to (laughs) well with the plan that i've have been working with what you know it's a it's a nolix design so the whole layout's a ramp it's kind of what you would call three and a half or basically two and a half visible levels with staging kind of on each end. Uh, also kind of what Luke was you know, talking about where each staging end is w- one way. It's a loop, you know, so I don't have to realign the trains, the, uh, you know, three foot aisleway minimum, you know, thinking about the people basically, essentially it's around the walls with, with one big peninsula in the middle of the room is, is the general plan. Yeah. It's kind of trying to minimize. So like the ruling grade is one and a quarter percent, between t- with flat between towns and then like set of decent sized staging in the, on each end and and a few switching areas but of course as we kind of talked a, like a couple episodes ago we uh, are looking at changing that a little bit to get more switching areas in and I was struggling and we talked about do I you know what if I add a helix and everybody was saying friends don't let friends you know put in a helix so um, yes. your endpoint staging. Do they have the possibility to connect? Do you have any unit traffic that would go east or west that would no, fluctuate? No, uh, not not really. Um, so because I did, a, uh, I yeah. do have that, and I do have a helix at my uh-huh. endpoints that connect on top of the reverse loops, so mm-hmm. I can run it. And the radius is not what I'd like to divulge. It's tighter than what most people would suggest. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if you're going downgrade. It doesn't really Not need to be deal. that big. Um, yeah. it, I did double track it as an afterthought. Don't ever do that as an afterthought. That was a <laughs> bit of a challenge. But that does add. And then I then I can park trains, stage things yeah. linear, linearly in, that, mm-hmm. in my endpoint helix. It's, um, you know, with the idea, mm-hmm. you know, in either case, um, with the design I had, you know, it's basically around the walls. And the way, you know, things looped around, it was, uh, you know, essentially the, the staging was an entire lap around the room, kind of. The yard, the staging yard wasn't, but the track did kind of a whole lap around the room to meet at the peninsula where things split off. And that's what allowed me to have the loop. Okay. With the new plan that I'm playing with to get those more switching areas in, I, I have to probably up my ruling grade to maybe one and a half percent between, you know, towns staging, you know, between switching areas. But my upper level, I would still have a reverse loop at the end of staging. But at that point, it would be my head or above most people's heads, so it won't be a, a, like a duck under interference. So, And then at the bottom, you know, down below, you can go all the way to the floor as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't, but it would. Same kind of idea as what I've been talking all along, where it would be loop around, take advantage of the room, and where I have the peninsula, that's kind of where things would Y of sorts. So kind of maintaining that, I've been trying to avoid duck unders. That was the thing I was struggling with with this plan where I, my first plan to convert the other one to add these extra switching areas, I was having a couple duck unders. I'm like, nope, I do not want duck unders. People get 
tire of that really fast. Now, if it was just for a, you know, a branch that was barely used, he could do a lift out and it's out of the way most of the time, but it would have been for, you know, the main line. So it's always going to have to be there. And essentially what I did is I almost flipped the entire layout around. You know, uh, if you're standing facing the bench work, it used to be, you know, you were looking north. Well, now you're looking south. And by reversing everything, that that actually allows me on both ends to add more more uh, operating areas. One I wasn't even really thinking about. On one end of the town, there's a big yard. You know, it's the main maintenance facility, and a, in a large city with several interchanges in the Union Station, I was trying to get a couple good switching areas in a coach yard. That's kind of what that plan change allowed me to add, and, and that was really good. But then on the other end. You know, there's also a, you know, junction, but it's only my railroad, you know, a couple different branch lines going off, but there was a, a couple large spurs. I was new as, okay, I definitely had the one in, it's like a two mile, what's called the dock spur. And uh, it has a whole bunch of industries along it. Well, on the north side of that same lake, which is kind of an inlet off of Lake Michigan, there was what was called the Ottawa Beach Branch. And it was originally went all the way out to the lake and there was the Ottawa Beach Hotel. It was a resort kind of thing, but that was abandoned in the 20s, I believe. You know, automobiles kind of took that that short distance resort traffic away. So what was left of that, there was many industries on there, like a tannery, a Chris Craft boat factory. So <laughs> that'll be really cool to have little yeah. flat cars with boats on them and, and the like. So, yeah, I'm going to kind of get that extra thing that I wasn't even, you know, really considering. It's like, hey, that just works out. Just by um, flipping the layout like that? Yeah, I mean, I accept my trade-offs, what I'm giving up to get this extra kind of things really on both ends. You know, the track between the two, kind of the middle level, you know, I'm cramming a little bit more into that. So my mainline run is, you know, the actual feet per actual miles is shorter. Like I said, I got a one and a half percent grade instead of a one and a quarter percent grade. I get quite a bit for it. So it's like, hey, I'm really liking this trade off with my new plan. You know, I'm, still, I'm kind of starting to flush out the details and, and I'm starting to draw the layout in CAD. Just, you know, get all the turnouts and the easements and everything in and, you know, trying to be realistic. You you When you get the early on plans, you think you can fit more in than you can. But once you start drawing the turnouts in there for real, you know, you can't, you know, yeah, it you takes can. up more room yeah. than you think. Now, I so. know, like, Luke, I like your idea of the, the helix for the continuous run. And yeah. I know, Ken, mm -hmm. you, you can have continuous run, too, just for shows. And that's something I didn't design into mind, but I miss. Yeah. I'm thinking Eric could have passenger trains. Ken, what, do you, what does that continuous run do for you? It's purely a show run. It gives me a chance to go down and have trains running while I'm doing something else so I can listen to them and watch them. Uh, I have several different spots on there that I call rail fan spots where it's just fun to, to get down so that you're looking at the train in a, at a realistic angle and watching it go by. It's also a good spot for friends to come over and bring equipment and let them just run it just to get some miles on it. It's something I need. I, I just I just like to watch trains run, which is why I've always been intrigued by trains. Uh, I liked watching them go down the uh, go down the line past the house. I liked pacing them on the uh, on the highway. That's why the continuous run is important to me. And then I've got all my industrial lines that are are point to point, and that works out fine too. Because there's evenings where I just want to go down and 
and uh, buckle eight cars together and go out and service the industries and then bring back the cars and, and put them away. So it's just a nice flexibility for me. It is. No, I think that's a nice thing. And I wish part of me wishes I had, I had some of that on my layout and things like that. We got Eric designing his layout and it seems like we're hitting on about the same things with this people flow and view blocks and no duck unders and no helix. Who, who here has changed their layout? Besides me, after you've run it a while. Mike, I know you've gone after yours a bit. Uh, when I started the railroad, uh, there was a gentleman who's no longer in the hobby, John Nelson. He said, you know, build a railroad that you can maintain. I'd have a 50,000 square foot in the space that only had 20, 20 rooms. So, you know, by default, uh, my railroad is uh, fairly small. Um, I was uh, able to continuous run setup on the railroad, so I like can now go hook up my uh, jeeps on a string of fourteen PFE reefers, put a caboose on it, and, and just let it run while I'm working on something. It's you know, it's kind of like nice background noise. You know, that's the fun part. And then just like Eric was saying, is you want to study a, your railroad and do things. And so as I collect stuff, I've changed industries on the railroad. That's one thing that's continuously, you never finish your railroad. And I think even Luke mentioned something about making some passing siding changes. I've added some extra staging here and there. Uh, a lot of it's just the more stuff you accumulate, the more you're like, I need a place to park this. So. My son got into the hobby and he was parking stuff too. So it's like, I just need a place to get stuff off the main line for a little bit here. But I did add some more traffic than I originally had thought up one of my branch lines. So what was originally a two track reverse loop up towards the line towards Shano is now like six. A lot, lot tighter on the radius is on the inside one than it should be, but it's a small trains that go up in there. So little, lo little local, I'll run a local up run it up into staging and I'll grab yesterday's local. So instead of switching all the industries up on this branch line that doesn't really go anywhere, I just go into staging, grab yesterday's train and come back down. And that gives you the flow of different cars coming back and forth. You guys think people put too many industries sometimes on their layout that they want so, so much that they pack it in there. Have you visited those layouts or do any of you feel like sometimes you know, this town This town shouldn't have this many in their design. I thought you wouldn't talk about me to my face. <laughs> I, I didn't mention you. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, but you're looking right at me. Yeah. <laughs> I a lot of people I can mention. I follow the prototype, so it's like, I, it's like I didn't have a lot of deviation to what I could go off of. It's like there was a warehouse there, so you put the warehouse in, and that's... I did come across some... Selective compression coming back to bite me. There's a yard on my west yard in Nina. It's got a little compressed, and there should be a paper mill in there. The paper mill kind of got pushed up against the backdrop, and what should be able to jam in like four empties to get loaded, I can stuff like one up against the door. I guess I wish I would have had a little bit more space there. But do you find, even as a prototype model, I've gone to layouts, and if a town had 10 industries in its lifetime, but you're modeling a specific time, they still have those 10 industries. You know, industry A was done in the 20s. 
B was done in the 30s. C, D, and E went, were gone after the war. Yeah. But they took they used their geography benders, Dave Hamilton says, license. And all those industries are still there. I may have tracked too, but a lot of them, like that industry or that job that does the West Yard stuff, I think there's like 30 some spots on the whole job, but it usually you only are out with six, eight or something. Not every not every place gets every switch every single time. So that, there's ways to limit that. I mean, not not every single door has to get a boxcar every single time. That's the way well, I, I think. I think that's the message. And I think that's what a lot of people overthink is if I've got a spot to place a car, it's going there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff, yeah, like you said, tra- some traffic just got dwindled down and what a warehouse with four doors may get one car every other time just because it's got four doors doesn't mean you got to use all four of them so i'll bring up this chart i saw byron henderson do he's the editor of the opsig see if i can explain it so you're looking at a triangle cut into three parts conceptual structural and detail in reality conceptual should be the most important then structural and detail but modelers seem to do it inverse why do you think that is why do you think they get caught up in what color are the fire hydrants before they design the spur to the icing facility. It's instant gratification. You put that scenery down and you, at the end of the night, you can say, wow, look what I did. If you lay down a turnout and four feet of track, it it doesn't have that same satisfying feeling of, you know, detailing the scenery. That's the pitfall. The best advice I got, again, was from John Nelson. He said, run your railroad for two years, then start your scenery. Because then if you got to change something, it's a lot easier to change it. And you're not getting the spray bottle and the putty knife out. Yeah, I wouldn't turn like the yards are the first thing that you build and the last thing that you change. So is, you're always changing a yard, it seems like, <laughs> at least to, to match, to make it how it flows to work better. Yeah, I do. I do. I think once you, like I said, run your yard, come back and change it. Ken, have you found that, that you've changed Anything or why people spend so much time? Do you think it's instant gratification that they'd rather build pine trees than design a better industry area? Once again, faced with the fact that I don't fit in, uh, maybe that's why I'm in S-scale. Uh, <laughs> an outsider. And I'm an outsider. You know, there are a lot of things that I've changed always for what I think is improvements, but I don't I don't find that I, I go back to the detail. I do find, though, that... Like, for instance, right now, I've got these industries in and I just bought some building sides that I can make into large industries. And so now I'm sitting here struggling with what to do next because I'm down in minutia about what detail, what sight line. I get stuck on on details like that. When I'm starting on, on scenery, on the other hand, I do get stuck in one area and try to uh, over-detail that area rather than going through one time and getting the whole concept down. That's a good thought. I appreciate you bringing that up. And Eric, as you're designing your layout, here's another one throughout there. Do you just learn from other layouts or track plans? And I'll throw this out to all you guys. Would you ever think about having someone else design your layout or a portion of it? Well, for me, because I draw with CAD. It's kind of my my day job, you know, and I I really enjoy designing. I mean, I haven't joined Layout Design SIG, but I use a lot of their stuff and I'm really thinking about joining them. It's something I enjoy. So no, I wouldn't personally send it out. But there was an interesting comment that Luke made about changing the yards. You know, it's the first thing you put in and the last thing you change. But 
you know, there, there's an interesting about the main yard that will be on my layout. If I go and find and what it looked like back in the, you know, basically, well, say pre-1966, it was essentially a very kind of standard yard. It had a bunch of tracks long and parallel and, you know, with a, you know, standard ladders at the end, although it was kind of split in two. And in, in 1966, they went ahead and, and rearranged the yard a bit where what they did is they turned um, an east, it kind of had an eastbound and a westbound. They had eastbound, like about four arrival departure tracks for eastbound, four for westbound, kind of on the sides of the yard. And all the yard trackage in the middle, they turned into classification. But those long tracks, they split in half. They put a little what they call the Mickey Mouse yard. I don't know how it got that name, but it's a little Mickey Mouse yard in the middle. So basically half the yard of those classification tracks became like the eastbound classification, half became the westbound. So now you you had you have a lot more tracks to sort stuff for you know for the switcher I'm sure they had a switcher basically working each end of the yard, one for eastbound, one for westbound. And it's like, ooh, I kind of want to do that to my yard, but the rear railroad didn't do it for about another four or 20 years. So it's like, oh, do I do that or not? Because, yeah, they did it for a reason, and it totally makes sense. It's like, oh, shoot, you know, so that's one of those things, change the yard to make it flow better. Do I do I use the modeler's license to imp- make that improvement, or do I just keep it as is and say, well, that's the way it was. Switchers, you got to deal with it. Yeah, I find that people design their yards for their model layouts too long that they feel that each track has to hold a complete train in real life. Luke will probably help me out here that a lot of trains come in and they pull in one track, make a cut, shove another, make a cut, shove another. But sometimes the yards were designed in the twenties, thirties and forties. And the same for us when we, when we have trains departing, you have a 10 or 13,000 foot train, you're tripling up three, four tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, Yards around here are long enough to hold the yard that I work on. We can throw 107 on one track, and that's usually pretty good. But length nowadays, you'll you'll double double yourself out of there. But my yard, when I first built my Fond du Lac yard, the same double lead thing. So you got eastbound and westbound leads. I built the leads because that's the way they were in the yard. But coming the arrival part coming in, the southbound traffic would come into the one yard. My long tracks ended up being like 35 cars long, and my sidings were only like. 20 cars so my the yard was just so massive it's like i really don't need it that big and then the other side the opposing lead they were like little stub ends with like 10 12 so i ended up sliding my entire leads down to make the track shorter on the one side and stretching them out the other side and then the one end that stub ends on the right side i stretched out even longer so what what comes in as southbound traffic it switched out and then i'll run it south around my reversing loop and i'll shove it in the other yard so everything is all pre-staged to go back out west again or north again east again they changed the railroad directions on the railroad that i model so that <laughs> that messes with me but yeah i did i did end up changing mine the overall flow is basically the same but i did slide my lead way down to try to get things proportionally a little bit better so but so tom tell us about about yours because you're hauling long trains of dirt and but <laughs> You have to double trains when they come in and go out, don't you? Yes. What the two things I changed my my upper yard. So on the big yard by the lake where the ore dock is and they sort the ore, I have a arrival and a departure track. It doubles. It does both, and that will fit one entire train. And when they trains when they take the empties up to the mines, 
I have two arrival tracks. It's one way. They'll take an entire train. But when you depart, the yard wasn't long enough. So the road power has to double over two tracks to create an outbound ore train loaded to go down to the dock. So we, I do double there. And what I found out was I was switching cars twice and the operators couldn't keep up because we'd pull the ore from the mine and my ore is graded by quality and type and things. Up at the mines, then the, that yard switcher would switch the cars and build a train that the dock required. And what I was finding when, when that train would get down to Agate Bay on the Shore Lake Superior, they would then take that train and switch it again into the cuts needed to shove out to the dock. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm switching these cars twice. The prototype wouldn't do this. They wouldn't pay for it. My upper yard, I made northbound arrival tracks, four southbound departure tracks for loads and a runaround track. I eliminated the switching lead, which turned into an abandoned track article in the NMRA magazine and, mm -hmm. it, and, a, and a nice scenic option. It looks like an old out of service track. Even in modeling form, my yards evolve. And, they, and, and from learning from the prototype that I can double or triple up a train to bring it down to the docks. And the other thing with yards too, Ken, and I see more, so many model railroads design a yard that is the end-all be-all. And what I mean by that is it originates and departs every train on the railroad. Whereas 99% of the towns on the prototype railroad are somewhere between North Platte and Chicago. And so like Luke says, the train will come in to City B, drop off a head-end cut, pick up a cut that's going to C, change crews and meander on their way. And then at B, they'll switch those cars out and go to the industries and stuff there. Every train, you know, if you design a yard where every train has to come in and be broken up, unless you have the space of what Luke has, it's, you'll never catch up, you know. It's, yeah, there's, there's all that you can get a lot of switching. You can really overrun some of the yard crews. Yeah, the stuff that comes down, I, everything gets reclassified to my end yard, but it's, it's fairly simple classification. It's fairly one directional classification. I don't know but, where I'm going with But that. if you had no so so if you had a Chicago so if you had a Twin City Chicago Zoo Line freight. Yep. And they pull into Fond du Lac. They've already been to Stevens Point, dropped and set off. Change crews. They get to Fond du Lac. They're they're setting out, picking up the 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 Schiller Park cars, yep. changing crews and departing. Yep. They're not pulling into the yard, power everything being dissolved. Then they're not building a Fond du Lac to Schiller, you know. And I think I very rarely see that on model railroads. And that is the most common thing I see in the prototype. Well, yeah, a lot of the traffic is just goes through. One thing I read years ago for operations is um, when you build your train up that goes east-west, you have your cars on the head end that kind of are signature cars for that train. You can tell stuff that, like for me, that goes towards the Twin Cities versus the stuff that goes towards Duluth. You can kind of tell that traffic just by looking at the, yeah. the freight cars oh, yeah. in that train. Yeah. Everything else is a filler block. You mm. only block like like I'll have like Twin City stuff, and then I have West, and then I'll have so yeah. everything else is just fill. It doesn't have to be important. So I'll make trains. That also helps me get to my siding length. So I'll send something Twin Cities block, and West will give me my twenty cars. My Twin Cities could be three cars. My Twin Cities could be 15 cars. But whatever it is, I take my fill block to make the rest of my train what I need. I think what we call it, it shocks a lot of people, is railroads have a lot of thousand-mile way freights. 
Yeah. <laughs> if that's, I don't know how else to put it, but that's, that's basically what it is. It's a thousand mile away freight when you leave, you know, the Twin Cities and you're going to North Platte. Well, it's not just going to go nonstop. It's going to set out cars here and pick up and then set out here and pick up and change crews four times and all these setups and eventually get from A to Z. But yeah. it's going to it's going to be a way freight along the way. And I think a lot of modelers miss that because they think the yard I built at one MLA and the yard at the other is the end all be all. You don't have to do every industry, but they'll they'll grab the stuff that gets clumped together at industry. Right. You don't sit out at a yard and then there's locals that work the stuff out of the yard. No. Come back and, up and you'll pick pick up and sell it at yards. Right. And Mike, your layout is kind of like that because the whole Santa Maria is basically the Southern Pacific drops off this mass of cars, right? And the Santa um, Maria takes it out to those industry, brings it back and gives it to the octopus there, you know, whatever. So on my railroad, uh, I model the Santa Maria Valley Railroad. And the Santa Maria interchanges with the Southern Pacific at a town called Guadalupe. And so my way freights come into Guadalupe and they'll drop a cut of cars for the branch and for any industries in Guadalupe. They'll also pick up any cars that are heading the same direction as the train. And then the train continues on and then a branch will come down with a cut of cars, pick up the cars that had been dropped off, and then they'll go back up the branch, pop the cars in a branch. The way Luke was talking about is that at Guadalupe, my trains just drop off a cut of cars, pick up a cut of cars, and keep going. Because there is a residential switcher in Guadalupe, the way freights don't do any work. They just drop cuts, pick up cuts, and continue on. Yeah, I'm going to kind of be in a similar situation, even though my layout will have two yards. Um, one of them was probably the biggest yard on the Pier Marquette mm. or close, well, close to it in a big city. So most of the trains stopped. There were some trains that did go on through. They maybe dropped a, you know, dropped a block or picked up a block. But then there's on the other end, there's a smaller yard um, where I pretty much yeah, most of your through trains are, might drop off a block or pick up a block, but that was kind of there to service the couple of the spurs, a couple of the longer industrial spurs and one of the short branch lines. The other branch line really wasn't switched in that yard. Those trains came from the main yard, you know, and that'll be on the other end of the layout and then just went up the branch uh, because it was a busy enough branch and the yard at that junction was just too, you know, too small to handle that much traffic. Uh, matter of fact, that train has, still today has an interesting, it's called the cannonball. So I'll have, you know, the cannonball on on my layout. I, I don't know how it got that name or why it got that name, but it got that name. That's a good name. And Ken, doing the Northern Pacific, do you model like on the on your uh, loop, you can have the, the mainline freights drop cars off in the yard for your switchers to take out, uh, you know, switching the, the little areas. Isn't that how you work that also? On the on the outside loop, I try to follow. I've gone through the NP operation books. The train that leaves my staging yard will go out and it'll have, it'll go out more like the St. Cloud turn. So it goes out and it hits St. Cloud and it'll, it will drop cars there for another way freight to pick up because I'm not running the Twin Cities to the West Coast. This is a secondary, uh, like, for instance, Duluth towards the West Coast. 
So they'll bring out a block of cars that'll get picked up by these through freight. And so now they, they get up there, they'll drop off some cars for there. There'll be cars left for them. And then they'll have brought cars up to switch this, this uh, city, Ascension. And then at the end of the uh, their job, they have some cars they picked up in that block that come back to staging the cars that they worked on the yard. Some will stay for the through freight. Some will come back with them. So that tries to, I try to give it some variety so that I, I can have, I can actually keep a wave freight out there just circling and hiding in different places. And then that becomes like a visible storage area that's off track because those cars can stay out of the loop for a while and then I can put them back in. So it's something I'm trying to do to add more variety from my operation and still be able to keep trains running where the train doing the operations has can't just run around willy-nilly. He has to uh, make do meets. So I am trying to run with a nod towards how the NP ran their operation. As you get more into that. So Ken, what advice, and I'll go around the room here, what advice someone who's designing their layout right now and they want to do, what what are some tidbits you would tell them? I think be careful you don't try to bite off too much too quick because you'll you'll get frustrated. Uh, I know Eric had talked a few back about starting one module at a time. And it's okay to start one module and then put in some track that is essentially just a runaround. Do it inexpensively. Just tack your flex track down easily so you can get it back out. And then just keep building your layout as you go. Your tastes are going to change. And I've heard people tell somebody, don't settle for anything less than what you want in the future. Build, Build your layout for the future. That's a neat idea, but who the heck knows what the future is? <laughs> you know, I, I give you an example here. Now I'm sitting here trying to figure out where on my layout I'm going to make a little siding and put it next to a, maybe in a farm area where the kids can come all winter and just throw jackrabbits into the gondola. Yeah. So in the <laughs> yeah. spring I can pull yeah. out a gondola full of frozen jackrabbits. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're like Elmer Fudd and they'll never <laughs> shoot it. So you just. <laughs> Get some, some, get some characters like that. Well, I was thinking of going to uh, mini prints yeah. and uh, getting a whole bunch of bunnies. Get a whole bunch of bunnies. <laughs> your whole investment in bunnies. There you go. For a layout design thing, has anybody heard the concept of not having yards on the layout? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We tagged. We talk about this one. This I thought this was an interesting concept. Uh, but Dave Dave Rickaby, when he lived up by me, uh, he had a layout that. He had one yard, and it was a whole trains. The first scene was you come out across the bridge, and there was no yards across the whole layout. As you did your way freight work, you if it went the other direction, you eventually clumped them somewhere for another way freight to take them back the other way. There was yeah. no yard switching anywhere. The whole the only yard that was on the layout was just to park the trains on the end of the system. Right. Yeah. Greg Dahl has that pretty much. He built this beautiful yard in the middle. And very rarely do we have a yard switcher because that's you use it to go out to serve the huge auto plant or the brewery or the industrial area. Dan Dosa's layout has no yard stage. It represents a yard. Yeah. I don't know if you call staging, but each level of his just has two staging tracks. Like you're coming from midway yard. It's, it's quite odd to some people, but yeah. 
it's because yards do suck up a lot of space. You want to give some more mainline run. Yeah, a lot of track, a lot, a lot, of, of, lot of money, a lot, lot of money, a lot of switches, a lot of freight cars to fill them, a lot of, a lot freight, of freight cars. cars. I mean, there and, there is that concept of not having a yard on your layout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. For me, you know, I yard switching is one of those things that's a lot of fun. So you know, I definitely want to have it. And um, of course, you know, for me, the the yard had a very large uh, car shops and in- locomotive shops and roundhouse and it's kind of important for me personally because that's where my grandfather worked. So, you know, for me personally, that's one of those things, "Ah, I'm going to have it, but I totally understand people not, uh, you know, not wanting it, although it uh, would be a little weird. (laughs) Let's talk about the engine facility stuff. Just because when your road train comes in, where's the power go? A lot of engine engine facilities do suck up a lot of space. And I had one friend that was designing a layout, He's like, ah, I don't need that roundhouse. It sucks up a lot of space. I'm like, you come in with the road power. What do you do with the road power? Yeah. It's got to go mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. You have to have a place to park mm-hmm. it. So what I've too found on the prototype where I work, you know, the smaller yard is because we only have one little fuel and one ready track because they, they made a mistake and only put the fuel cranes to service one track. But <laughs> I won't get to that. But a lot of times, like if you're if you're a switcher, and this is what people don't model this too, is, okay, this goes back to every train doesn't come to the depot. So Little, our little industrial jobs start down at the industrial area. They do all the poles, they come back to the yard, get the spot, and they leave the engine there. And we'll have road trains that'll park their power on industries. If they're all fueled and ready, park them on an industry spur. Park them on the north end of a track and the south end of switching. So, yeah, you, you can park power, but then you have power all over the place. So, yeah. it, you know, and that eats up a lot, too, because... You end up, especially with DCC, so much sound and noise and inrush when you start those tracks. So, but I'll I'll go to you, Mike. If somebody came to you and said, "I'm designing this layout," what advice would you? What tidbits would you give them? Yards are they serve two purposes. One, they make your trains whole, and you can put them together. The other thing that a yard does is we all have the same disease and that we have too many cars for our railroad, but we want to show them off. So sometimes that yard just becomes a display area. In my case, I probably got 30 cars too many on my railroad, but I rotate them in and out of my yard. And so they're on display. So that's one thing that you have to think of is it's just not operations, but it's the hobby. You know, you, you've got to accommodate your hobby. And just like Luke was saying, you know, an engine house takes up an awful lot of space. But sometimes that engine house is the display of your locomotives. Yeah. you got to kind of relax your operation into just being part of the hobby. I think that's one thing. You just be a little bit more flexible than you normally would. I'd really like to have a cab forward, but uh, <laughs> cab forward and HO scale in my room is larger than the room. So. Right. Have you guys, I've run into a few people still to this day where they've built the bench work. You know, they, they, here's my train room. I got the sheetrock lighting up and they build this plywood Pacific around the walls and this and river, and they don't have a plan. And you guys run into that. <laughs> It's kind of like old school. I'm going to build the bench work and then I'll just see where the flex track takes me, you know? And I said, it's, uh, to me, I think it's going to take you to another layout when you're done, but 
Have any of you guys seen that or know of anyone? I've seen of it, but as a prototype model, that's like blasphemy, I guess. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I like yeah. I guess I don't like to be the creative. I guess if there was a siding there, we put the siding there because that's yeah. what the prototype does. That helps immensely with layout design. You don't have to be creative about it. You just emulate what was there. Yeah. Well, what? I think, Luke, you do have to be creative when you have junctions and branches going in different places. A little bit, Trying yeah. to figure out a way to fit that into a layout space is is a challenge. So and that's where that you need to draw that additional diet, kind of almost like a basic diagram and say, here's where my features are that are challenges. You know, towns along the way, just, you know, towns with some sidings. Yeah, that's linear. It's, you know, not a big deal when you're trying to go around the walls. But as soon as you start throwing junctions and yards or something with a like in my case, a, a, a nearly 360 degree roundhouse that's yeah. you know, a big space heater. So it's like, okay, those are the things that define your layout in terms of where you put them. And the rest is, okay, how do I connect it in a reasonable manner? So I have my, my roundhouse in Vonlec is almost 360. Well, part mm-hmm. of it ripped out of it, part of it, my model, but it's, uh, I did a lot of it as face front. It's, you get the turntable and the roundhouse goes against the wall, three sides, two sides of it at least. So I'm not modeling all the roundhouse. A lot of the wall, a lot of the stalls are just deep enough just to get the engine in. So I'm not modeling the back side of that. So that helped save a little space for me for modeling the facility. So but that- I just think you're opening yourself up to you know, the discussion I had with this person was they, they put in a bridge. You're modeling CSX in Ohio, heavy duty, double track, beautiful bridge. And then he was getting bombarded with everybody. Well, you should make it a swing span. Then you could put a barge in there. Then you could do this and you could do. And because he didn't have a plan, you know, he's kind of eyeing this up and doing this. And then I want to put a piggyback terminal in it. And I'm like, it's, you're going to get bored with this. You're going to be, it's just tough. I, I suppose people do everything, but I just, I could not recommend that. You know, it's the same thing. Like I said, my advice would be everything you guys said, build smaller than what you have. Keep, keep it simple. Keep it simple. I and I think that was when I built mine was, I know it's blasphemy among model railroaders, but I built mine smaller than the room it's in. <laughs> and, but I knew that, like I said, as a railroader, I wasn't going to be home yeah. and I didn't expect anyone to come over. So I said, why build this huge thing and in an investment and in money and time that I'll never, never get to. You know, there's things I would like to change about it, but it's yeah. Now, now you have, so you can take up the whole room now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Now I can start ripping things out. You guys are coming over with the skill saw later, and <laughs> I think I think a lot of people like to do their little complicated switching areas. Yeah, and I think that that's overrated. I, I make a switching area. It doesn't have to be complicated. The complication could be the operations itself. I mean, how how much traffic goes in and out of it. Railroads don't try to make things complicated. They try to make them as simple as possible. Right. They will Railroads will try to rip out any switch possible, leave it just the bare minimum, and it'll be complicated the way, enough the way it is. And, Mike, I think that's where, like, your little produce area, it seems complicated because you have to do all these steps, but when you clarified that you don't do all the steps in one session, it beco- it becomes a lot simpler. Isn't that right, Mike? I mean, you don't ice and load and do this all, you know, you're not moving that reefer 20 times in one session. Yes. the In the produce area, I only have two industries that are uh, facing point. So the rest, when you bring the train in, you're not running around a bunch of cars. You're pulling out a string 
pulling a couple of cars out and then pushing the string back in. So I try to keep that industry area to flow easy because there's still enough work to do with sure spots. Some of my cars will go to an actual numbered door, and that's enough to cause confusion with most operators, let alone telling them they have to run around a train and spot a car at a lone industry. I make it complicated, but simple moves. Yeah. And And Luke, I I think you're right that the railroad does this. And I think if you design in your yard down the line and into staging, but your train's going to do work along the way, make them trailing point switches. Yeah. And that's very prototypical. When I take a train from Altoona to Adams and we used to do the switching, everything was a trailing point switch. So you only dropped and set off going east. Yeah. The westbound train didn't do any work. Yeah. And that was a real eye opener. So, you know, that you may design that into certain things. Why design a train to pull into the town and plug up everything as he's, you know, trying to run around? You want to make it complicated, line stuff up by doors. I mean, do a oil or one of the chemical plants that I do. It's, it's, I think in real life, it's like seven or eight spots. I'll model four of them, but it's four different products. You want to make that annoying. One and three come out, and you have to put product one and three back in. That gets a lot of cut and splice, and you want to do some switching. There's ways to make it difficult. You right. don't, and that's only one, one little spur. Yeah, don't spots. design it in. Don't design it complicated. There's other yeah. ways you can make it, you know, make it difficult for people. Right. This is fun to listen to because the first few times I had people over evaluating how my operation was coming i was criticized for all the open space i had you know gee you could take out this river and (laughs) and and put this kind of an industry there and uh oh gosh look you you have all this space in here why why don't you add more industries and and yet the space was very much like an industrial space that uh, in the twin cities a pocket yard that gets worked oh you could add Three more, four more car spots in there. There's an abundance of unsolicited advice on layouts. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. And, and we're adding to it tonight. So. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone got anyone well, else I, to say about designs that they like, don't like, Eric? Well, well I, I can kind of point to that for me. It's like one thing, you know, like Luke, I'm modeling a prototype. And he said, well, that's the way it was. So yep. yeah. know, for some of the criticism, I can just say, yeah. well, that's the way the railroad did it. And even even the prototype, like if you flipped an industry to the other side of the tracks, that's fine. You know, that's fine. At least that's where gruesome mm-hmm. casket was. That's where I'm putting it. So, no. yeah. Yeah. And I have to obviously do that with the plan that I'm working on. There's a few little compromises like that where um, I've mentioned this before in the previous episode, something called the furniture spur. And it actually was a Pennsylvania railroad kind of ran parallel to it, to the Paramarquette, to this spur this little mini branch line that served a bunch of industries and the two railroads kind of formed a Y um, except the, the two tracks crossed each other and then ran parallel to each other. So I, I have to flip my railroads direction for the Y basically not have the Y, but that just works out to keep the, uh, the industries, the track on the aisle side of the industries because otherwise you're not going to see the track you have to reach over all the right. buildings so so there's little compromises like that that you have to make and th- uh, yeah. to fit it into a space i think the most difficult part for prototype modelers such as you and luke and you know the rest of us doing that is 
not the design and the changing of that to fit the space is not telling everybody. Oh, you yeah. You're, you're driving the bus right over yourself. Like I just Every prototype <laughs> modeler throws himself. Yeah, this is a beautiful scene you got here, Ken. Well, well the Northern Pacific didn't have that. Now, you know, don't. Yep. My signature scene when you walk in the feed mail, it's on the wrong side of the bill. It's on the yeah. wrong side of the tracks. But you know that. I know that. All of us coming to operate wouldn't care. Yeah. It's a you big know. red feed mill. And that's the one scene I wanted was the big red feed mill. Right. And that's your signature scene and you fit it in there. And I'm like, yep. No one's going to care. But you know? geographically wise, the building should be flipped to match right. the east and west end. That's I just want a big red feed mill. Yeah. Dave, Dave Hamilton gave us all a geography bender, so we're all good. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Well, Thanks thank for you. putting your time and your advice. Sure. And we shall talk with I've, you on the next episode. Yeah, but, but I've just, been certainly soaking it in. So Okay, you better be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, better, you better email us up your track plan. So we can all have, we'll have a podcast critiquing it. Oh yeah. Sure. There we go. I, I think that would be good. Yeah. I can tell you where gruesome caskets should go. And <laughs> Well, I'll, what I'll do is I'll email you the plan that I had. There we just go. So you kind of know where I'm going. If I was putting something a little together and I, and I can share that all with you, but uh, yeah. uh, by email, it's, I was just thinking, you know, how do you talk about something like that on a podcast? It can be a little yeah. bit of a challenge, but yeah, we can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I would email that to the list. Say, say, what do you guys think? And then you'll, you'll, you'll get all kinds of answers. Well, yeah, we're all good at giving suggestions, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not our money to spend. We'll give you all kinds of ideas. Yeah. Yeah, Luke will say you should make it Sioux line. It's not California. (laughs) Ken and I also, where's the donuts and the crew lounge. So that's right. (laughs) One of the good things to remind everybody is now this is coming out and it'll be uh, the middle of August. Yeah, August, see, and we're almost to model railroading season. And, and as things are getting on, I think I think the Minnesota layout owners group is going to get active again, and we're going to have operational opportunities. So if you're thinking of building a layout and you want some ideas, get a hold of people through the Twin Cities Division, the Minnesota op- layout operator, layout owners, any of these groups, and come and visit. We said earlier, learn from the mistakes we made. There's no, you don't get extra points for screwing up something we already screwed up. Uh, screw up something on your own. Keep no. in touch with us. Make new mistakes. Right. All right, guys. Everyone say good night. Thank you. Good night, guys. Good night, Grace. good night, Gracie. See you, everybody. <laughs> podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts.